Okay, good morning, everyone. Trying to work out this new microphone that was requested. Is that good? Can you hear? Okay, Boker Tov. I want to dedicate our learning this morning of uh, Parshas Vaira, Le'iloi Neshama of the four Kedoshim, the four French Jews who lost their lives. Hashem Yikom Damo, whose uh, funerals are taking place right now in Israel, where the President of Israel uh, just spoke and said that he wanted them, Jewish people in Israel, wanted them to come home alive, not this way. And that certainly is our hope. Also, a refuah shleima for all Yisrael. All those who are ill should have a speedy and painless recovery. In particular, we continue to think of our beloved, Rav Gavriel Pinchas ben Dvorizlata, should have a painless and full recovery. Parshas Vaira, we continue to study the story of the redemption. So we began last week, the formation of our people, the transition from a family to a nation. And that nation needed to be forged, that nation needed to be molded in the Kura Barzel, as our rabbis put it, in the fiery furnace of Egypt. They needed to experience the antithesis, the opposite of whom they were destined to be in order to emerge and become the people that they were meant to be. So our parsha begins, Moshe and Hashem are still playing this uh, little dance. Moshe continues to hesitate and demure. God continues to tell him, you're the man. It's an amazing, uh, for another time, but for you to consider, it's an amazing thing that Moshe has, the chutzpah, the audacity. Yes, he's the humblest of all men on the one hand, but on the other, God gives you an assignment. Who are you to hesitate? Who could hesitate? It's not an election. It's not the HOA or the shul says we'd like to put you on the board. Well, I wouldn't blame anyone for running away. This is the Ribona Shalom. The Almighty says, I have a sacred mission. If you're humble, the more humble you are, the more ready you should be to accept. And yet Moshe continues this little dance and continues to hesitate. What exactly is going on there? Perhaps for another time. But our Parsha begins with what we know are the four famous expressions of redemption. Namely, that God promises, I'm going to take them out, I'm going to rescue them, I'm going to redeem them, I'm going to take them. And that fourth one is the fulfillment of the first three. This is what we developed last year, last year, last week, when we combined the Parsha class with the mitzvah to make Aliyah. The Vilakhti is the culmination, the fulfillment of the first, of the first three Lashonos of Geula. Rav Asher Weiss develops this in his Perish uh, on Chumash. The purpose of taking them out of to save them and rescue them and redeem them was not to be some secular political entity, was not to be an emancipated people who are a nation like any other. But the entire purpose was that to be followers, to be a nation, of course, we know there is a fifth potential Lashon of Geula, and that is Vehevesi Eschem El Haaretz, which is the real culmination. Where do we fulfill our mission to be God's people, observing God's Torah? In God's land, in the singular unique place of His land, Vehevesi. God says, I will bring you in. Last week we spoke about Shavuos is really the second days of Pesach. It's one Yantif, according to the Ramban and, uh, and others. This fifth uh, language of redemption, for some, is the origin of the Kos Eliyahu. We have four of those who come to the men's afternoon kolal on Wednesday. We saw this. In the Rashbam and Tosos, we're learning Arvi Psachim. 
the four cups that we have at the Seder correspond with these four Lashonos of Geula. That's the most popular reason. Many other reasons are given. But these four languages of redemption, the Kos Elio, the kind of voluntary in-between fifth cup that we don't drink from but that we have on our table, according to some, corresponds with Vehevesi, to be brought into the land. The ultimate Elio is the harbinger of redemption. Again, Moshe hesitates when God says to go speak. Jewish people aren't going to listen to me. If they won't listen to me, how will Paro listen to me? I have sealed lips. I have a speech impediment. I'm not an orator. Who's going to listen to me? Moshe tries again to get out of it. Peculiarly. And Hashem again appoints him for his mission. Vaitzavim el bnei Yisrael v'yal paro melech Mitzrayim lotzias bnei Yisrael meirat Mitzrayim. I'm on page three twenty in the Stone Chumash. We're just doing the overview of the parsha, then we'll delve into the pesukim. But it's a very funny language. We've studied this in the past. God tells Moshe, "Okay, that's nice. You have a speech impediment. Yeah, we, we've we've heard this story before. That's the story you tell yourself. But I've told you that you can indeed be the catalyst for redemption. So what's Moshe and Aaron's mission? Vaitzavim el bnei Yisrael v'yal paro melech Mitzrayim." To command the Jewish people and Paro. To which all of the Mephorshim quickly jump. I understand the language of a command. You have to mandate to Paro, release the Jewish people. Paro needs the harsh, direct, confrontational demanded of him. But you liken Paro with B'nai Yisrael. First, Vayitzavim el B'nai Yisrael. Command B'nai Yisrael and then command Paro the same Vayitzavim? What does that mean? Jewish people need a command? They're enslaved. They're in servitude. They're suffering. They're persecuted. They're oppressed. They should welcome a message of redemption, of liberation. They don't need a harsh language. They need a soft language. So Rashi tells us there, Vayitzavim el B'nai Yisrael, Tzivam aleim lahanhigam benachas velizbol osam. Here Moshe and Aaron are commanded to be patient and to be pleasant. V'lizbol osam. What does lizbol mean? To tolerate, to endure, to be willing to bear the burden. Lizbol, bear the burden of this people. Vayitzavim. So Rashi says Vayitzavim doesn't mean the same harsher confrontational way you speak to Paro. It means that the Jewish people also need a thought-out, insightful leadership strategy. Lisboa, last, week, last year we spoke about this, you could listen online, a, br- a brilliant insight of Revolbi. The word Lisboa, which means to bear the burden, to tolerate, is also the root of the word Savlanut. Savlanus. Savlanut means patience. What is patience, after all, if not the ability to bear the discomfort of needing to wait? Savlanut Lisbol, to bear an uncomfortable moment. And that's where Moshe and Aaron are being commanded again. We talked about it much more at length last year. The Parsha then continues to delineate the mission and the people who are on it. We list all these names and the lineage again. Then we have Moshe hesitating again. Page 322. I have sealed lips, a speech impediment. God, I told you. How will Paro listen to me? And again, it's very peculiar. Give it up. Give it up, Moshe. 
This is God Almighty, the infinite, omnipotent being. He has identified you. Give it up. You tried to get out of it. Give it up. And He refuses to give it up. But then the redemption begins. This is the part that we're going to study more in depth momentarily. But essentially, this is the very quick orientation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has with Moshe and Aaron. Before He sends them on their first mission of Shlichus, before He sends them on their first approach to Paro, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a little retreat. He does an orientation with them. What it means to be a leader, and that's what we're going to examine together. Then we have the plagues. The first plague is that of blood. Second plague, the plague of frogs. The third is lice. And so on. We've all been to a Pesach Seder before. We know the plagues. How many plagues are there in Parsha's Vaira? Seven. Seven. My nephew, Surly Michel, sent me a little video this morning of a Dvar Torah he gave his mom over breakfast while holding the waffle. <laughs> he sent me a little video. His Dvar Torah was, How do you know that Vaira has seven plagues and Bo has three? He says, You have to use Gematria. <laughs> Vaira, the first two letters are Vav and Aleph. Six and one is seven. Bo is two and one is three. So there's seven plagues in Vaera and three plagues in Bo. I think he's applying for the assistant rabbi position. I told his mother, my sister-in-law, that only if he holds a waffle while he gives the drusha, then he, then he qualifies. So we have the Parsha ends with these seven plagues. We're all familiar with, uh, with these plagues, as I said, from the Pesach Seder. First two plagues, by the way, are carried out by whom? Aaron, not Moshe. Why? Moshe was saved by the Nile. It would be a lack of gratitude to strike the Nile. Because that makes sense, right? It makes sense that you have to show gratitude to an inanimate object. That makes sense, right? No, that makes no sense at all. But it's what we're taught in kindergarten. And they pinch our cheek and send us home with our projects. And we repeat at the Shabbos table. Moshe, right? Just like the challah doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of the wine. So we cover it. Again, we talked about that in the men's afternoon kolo. So too, uh, Moshe can't hit the Nile because he has to have a karas hatov. Doesn't make sense. Well, we talked about this also in the past. But very quickly, it makes complete sense. If you understand that a karas hatov is not about the recipient of the gratitude, but it's about the deliverer, the giver of the gratitude. Hakaras hatov is not because when someone does something nice, they need to hear thank you. But it's because when someone had something nice done for them, they need to say thank you. Because thank you, according to Judaism, is an exercise in humility. The ability to say thank you, thank you stems only those people who have the humility to recognize, you did something for me, my life was enhanced, my life was improved, I benefited from you in a way I couldn't have without you. So I must acknowledge that. I must express the humility, the sense of dependence of it by saying thank you. So whether you are an animate object or an inanimate object, whether you are a person or whether you're the Nile River, I have to always bear an attitude of gratitude because it's for me, not for you, to undergo that exercise of saying thank you. We shared this with Futner, I think with, uh, in Sefer Bracious with Leah naming her son Yehuda. The first person to give gratitude, Rafutner's insight. The word modeh, the same word that we use for gratitude, means admission. Modeh le and modeh al. That same word, I am grateful to you, also means I admit to you. If you say, Goldberg, you owe me a hundred bucks, pay up. I see, I say, ani modeh it's true. I admit to you. If I want to say I'm grateful to you, I say, ani modeh al, I'm grateful for whatever it is you did. So ask Rafutner, 
Rosh Hashiv of Chaim Berlin, Zatzal, why do you have the same word? We don't have redundancy. We, we have a new word. Why do we have the same word? So says Rafutner, because implicit in every expression of gratitude is the admission, I needed you. So I can admit that I owe you a hundred bucks and I can also admit that you did a favor, you did something for me. Every time you say thank you, you are admitting that someone helped you. You're not in fact independent, but rather we all depend on one another. That's why you'll probably notice in your own lives, arrogant people struggle with gratitude. Egotistical, narcissistic, arrogant people have a lot of trouble saying thank you. And the most humble people write all those thank you notes and thank you emails and can't stop saying thank you for the most insignificant thing you did for them. But that humility brings them to always say thank you. So Moshe can't strike the Nile or bring the Tzvardea forth from it because Moshe, who was saved by the Nile, needs to carry on an attitude of gratitude, not because the Nile needs to hear thank you. That's absurd. It's an inanimate object. It's ridiculous. That's not what we're teaching in kindergarten. What we're teaching is that we need to say thank you because we need to say thank you. It's Fardaya. I said this at Mincha the other day, but it bears repeating. Then we'll get into our Psukim. The, the, uh, when Moshe brings the second plague, Aaron rather brings the second plague of Fardaya, the Pasuk says, turn to page 328 in the Stone Chumash. The Pasuk says. Where's the Pasuk? Aaron places his staff on the river in Egypt and what emerges from the river? The frog. The frog. Then how do we come up with the song? Frogs here, frogs there, frogs are jumping everywhere. I thought the Makkah of Tzvardeh, one frog, we have lizards everywhere. We have iguanas everywhere. We got the little frogs jumping in Boca everywhere. What, one frog's called a plague? Hat Tzvardeh, the frog? So this bothered Rashi. And Rashi gives two perushim, but one he quotes the Medrash. That yeah, one frog climbed out of the river. And what happened? The Egyptian who's cursing the exterminator under his breath can't stand that this frog is in his house. He takes his broom and he smacks the frog. And what happens? It's like a gremlin. The frog divides, multiplies. And then he hits the next frog. He's trying to shoo it, get it out of its house. And what happens? Frog multiplies. Until the next thing you know, frogs are jumping everywhere. So I asked the stipler gone, Rav Kanievsky Zatzal, in his Birchas Peretz, his commentary on Chomish. Asked the stipler, I don't understand. The first time the Egyptian hit that frog and saw it multiply, why would you ever hit it again? Basic seichel. Simple logic dictates when you see the results of what you did, stop. Don't do it again. Who in their right mind would continue that same self-destructive behavior? So says the stipler with a brilliant insight into the human psyche. This is what happens when we give in to anger. Anger leads to self-destructive behavior. Anger clouds our judgment. When a person gets filled with rage, they lack self-awareness. They lack the ability to think. They freeze. So this Egyptian, of course it's foolish, it's ridiculous. He's bringing a plague upon his own home. And why does he continue to do it nonetheless? 
because he succumbs to anger. Anger, a category, the Rambam and Rambam, the Rambam and Igeris in the letter to his son, the Rambam and Hilchus Deos, both write that anger is a categorically bad attribute. All character traits belong in our recipe. The only question is, to what measure? That's why character traits are called midos. A mida means a measure. One should have a mida, one should have a measure of all the potential character traits out there. They're not categorically good or bad. It depends when and how you use them and employ them. But the Ramban and Rambam both agree that there's one character trait that's categorically bad, that never belongs in our toolbox, in our repertoire, in our spice cabinet. And that is anger. Why? Because anger is a pure emotion with no intellect. Anger clouds our judgment. Anger suspends our reason. Anger leads to self-destructive behavior. How many people have brought plagues upon their family because they gave in to anger? They spoke in a way they shouldn't have spoken. They made decisions they shouldn't have made. In a business deal or a negotiation, they acted foolishly because they got angry. Their ego was, was uh, challenged, was hurt, was bruised. So says the stipler, Hatzvardeah! There wouldn't have been a song. There wouldn't have been a plague. If the Egyptian would have left well enough alone, seen the one frog and let it be, or the first time he hit it, it multiplied. Okay, I'd be foolish to hit it again, leave it alone. But says the stipler, that's the power, the destructiveness of anger. Okay, that's the overview of the Pasha. Let's get into our Psukim. I want to examine together today, Perak Zion, beginning Pasuk Aleph, page 322 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. <clears throat> Page 322. Perek Moshe. God is speaking to Moshe. I'm sorry, I should have read that Elohim. See, I have placed you as the Elohim. The word Elohim can be confusing in Chumash because sometimes it's one of God's names and sometimes it's literal translation Elohim means judge, a judge. And in fact, that's why that name of God connotes the divine attribute of justice. Midas Adin, as opposed to Midas HaRachamim, the left side, as opposed to the right side. Midas HaChesed, that's why Hasidim, their clothing buttons right over left. We want the Midas HaChesed to beat out, to triumph over Midas HaDin. That's why in so many areas of ritual we give precedence and preference to the right side over the left side. Because symbolically the right represents Midas HaRachamim, Midas HaChesed, God's mercy. The left represents Midas HaDin. All of us, all men, observe this with one garment at least we have, even if we're not a Chesed. Which garment is that? The Kittel. If you ever notice when you put on the kittel, you wonder maybe it's your wife's kittel. Why am I buttoning it the opposite of the way I button my shirt? Because the kittel, every kittel is universally designed right over left. It's buttoned differently than men's shirts because it's Midas Arachim over Midas Adin. Elohim is God's name for Midas Adin. Elohim means a judge. We have in Parshas Mishpatim, we'll get to, we have in the Torah, the word is employed to describe human judges. And that component of God, which corresponds with or is similar to a human judge who is giving judgment, is that's why we use that name of God. So God is telling Moshe, See, Rehena Satiha, I have placed you to be, Rashi says, Shofet Virode Lirdoso Bemakos Viasurim. 
I have placed you to be a judge over Paro. You're going to, what does a judge do? They execute judgment. What does the judge do? They arraign the individual. The judge sentences the individual. Moshe, you are the shofet. You are the judge and the jury. You will execute justice. You will, you will give the sentence to Paro through the makos v'yisurim. V'yar nachicha and your brother Aaron yihyeh neviecha. He will be your prophet. That's kind of strange. When we think of a prophet, we think of someone who has the direct connection to the line to God. But Moshe has the direct line to God. So why does he need Aaron to be his Navi? If you're sensitive to the language of the Pasuk. What do you mean Aaron will be Nivyecha? So look at Rashi. Kitargumo mitarg and Rashi gives a few examples from around Tanakh. What is Rashi saying? We have a total misconception of what a Navi is. When we use the term or translation prophet, to us a prophet is somebody who can see into the future. They have a crystal ball. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? What's going to happen to the Jews of Europe? Much more significantly. What will be in the future? Turn to the prophet who has prophecy. They see the future. But that's not a Jewish view of a prophet. A prophet never sees the future. The prophet is not some, you know, staff member of the Psychic Friends Network. The, the prophet from the Jewish view is the individual who is the mouthpiece of the Almighty. When the Ribbono Shalom wants to communicate something to people here on earth, he does so not by speaking from the heavens, but by selecting and identifying an individual or multiple individuals, prophet or prophets, and uses them to communicate the message. A prophet is a mouthpiece. That's what a prophet is. All prophets, with the exception of Moshe, cannot initiate prophecy. This is one of the foundational beliefs that Moshe is a categorically unique, distinct prophet, different than all of the prophets. Moshe could initiate a conversation with the Ribbono Shalom. Every other prophet only received prophecy at the Ribbono Shalom's initiation. When God wanted to communicate a message, He came to Yirmiyo, Yeshayo, Amos, He came to our prophets, and He did so in their sleep, by the way. Another difference. Moshe could have Nevoah while awake. All of the prophets had to be in a state of sleep. Moshe during the day, all the prophets at night. All these differences. But a prophet is not someone who has some crystal ball and can see the future, predict what will happen. A prophet is the mouthpiece to articulate what the Almighty wants us to hear. So now you understand, says Rashi, what does God mean? It doesn't mean Aaron will be your prophet, Moshe. It means Aaron will be your mouthpiece. You keep coming at me with this idea that you have a speech impediment that you're not an orator, okay, I get it. Aaron will be Nevi'echa. He will be your mouthpiece. Adam HaMachri is an individual who announces Umashmi'a La'am and makes known to the people Divrei Tochachos. Good. Pasuk Beis. Ata tadaber as kol asher atzaveka v'yaron achicha yidaber al paro v'shilach as b'nei Yisrael me'artzel. Again, this is the orientation. What did you all just turn the page for? We didn't get up to Pasa Gimel. <laughs> this is part of the orientation. God is preparing the two of them 
very short, very brief orientation before they're going to go in. So Kodesh Baruch Hu says, you will speak Asher Atzaveka, what I command you, and Aaron will speak Yidaber El Paro, the Shilachas Bnei Yisrael Meretzo. It's ambiguous, what do you mean? Who, so who's speaking to Paro? Moshe or Aaron? What is Atat Yidaber is called Asher Atzaveka? V'yaron Achicha Yidaber El Paro. You will speak everything I command, and your brother will speak to Paro. What does that mean? It says Rashi. Ata Sadaber. Pam Achas Kol Shlichus Vishlichus Kafish Shamatamipi. The Aranachicha Yam Litsenu, the Atimenu Baozne Paro. You, Moshe, will repeat one time all of my command, but then to transfer it to Paro, to actually communicate it to Paro, that Aaron will do. Says the Ibn Ezra. You, Moshe, will say everything I command. And your brother Aaron will speak to Paro. What's the significance of this Pasuk, says the Ibn Ezra? That as you continue to read, you'll know that not every time that Moshe communicates to Paro do we see Aaron's presence. So you might have thought Aaron didn't always go. Says the Ibn Ezra, that's what this Pasuk comes to teach. That in fact, not only does Aaron always go, but Aaron is always the one speaking to Paro. Moshe gave the greater one-time command, let my people go. But the delivery of each Makkah, that comes through Aaron. And now we get to what is the most significant and troubling and disturbing and complicated issue in this entire story of Geula. Pasuk Yimel. Now you can turn. Vani akshas lev Paro. I am going to harden, God says to Aaron and Moshe before they set out. I'm going to harden the heart of Paro. And it will cause me to increase my signs and my wonders in Mitzrayim. And never the Paro is not going to listen to you. I will be forced to place my hand on Egypt. And I will, I will take out my tzivosai. What are tzivosai? My legions. What are legions? My hosts. What are hosts? I have no idea. I will take them out of Mitzrayim. And when I do that, Mitzrayim will know when I release my hand, when I interact and intervene with Egypt, they will know. And I will take the Jewish people from within them, from among them. What are tzivosai? Let's start with that. What are tzivosai? God says, I'm going to harden Paro's heart. He won't listen to you, which will cause me to bring plagues. I will reveal my hand and then I will take out my tzivosai. What are tzivosai? What are tzivosai? Says the Svarno. Not the Svarno, I'm sorry. Says... Is it the Svarno? Oh, the Orachayim HaKadosh. Says the Orachayim HaKadosh. Rebchayim Benatar. Tzarech Ladas, Mi'e Matzvos. Who are these lesions? 
as Tzvos Ami Bnei Yisrael. If he's referring to the Jewish people, then the Pasuk should have been simplified to read, the Oseisi, I will take out Tzvos Ami Bnei Yisrael. What do you mean Tzvosai Es Ami? Vulai says the Yorachayim, perhaps Ki Yechavein Hashem, Der Shom Batorah, Haflagos Ma'alaseinu Etzlo. Ki ein lo Tzvos Miyuchadim lo Ki Yisrael. Says why is it written in this manner? It should have been simplified to say as Tzvaus Ami Bnei Yisrael. Says the Rachaim, if it would have been written in that way, then one might have misunderstood that God has many Tzvaus. He's taking out one of them in this circumstance, namely the Jewish people. But because the Torah, because God wants us to know, He only has one Tzvaus, and they are the Jewish people. That's why it says, Tzivosai in the singular. I only have one. And who are that one? Who is that one? Es Ami B'nai Yisrael. But we still haven't understood. Why doesn't it just say, Vyotzei Es Ami B'nai Yisrael? It's just layers of redundancy. It should just say, Vyotzei Es Ami. Or Vyotzei Es B'nai Yisrael. Or Vyotzei Es Tzivosai. Why three layers of redundancy? Tzivosai, Ami, B'nai Yisrael. Pasuk has redundancy after redundancy. So says the Ibn Ezra, who are Tzivosai? I love this Ibn Ezra. Kimoshehem ha-malachim Tzvaus Hashem b'shamayim Kach heim Yisrael ba'aretz That word Tzvaus should remind you, elicit immediately the idea of the heavenly angels, the heavenly uh, beings, that's where we see Tzvaos. Kadosh, 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 Hashem. Tzvaos, Meloch. Right? We have Tzvaos is always angelic, angels, heavenly beings. Why is it used in this context? Because, says the Ibn Ezra so beautifully. You know what the Jewish people's mission is on earth? To be God's angels. God says, I'm taking them out. And why am I taking them out? Tzvaosai. I want them to be my angels on earth. I have angels in the heaven. What are angels? We don't believe in separate beings. God is one. We don't believe that they are independent, separate beings. Angels are those who carry out God's mission, God's will. Which really is an extension of the Almighty Himself. We refer to Him as angels. So what's our mission? We spoke about this as past Shabbat Shuvah at length. Our mission is to be an angel. Be someone's angel. Tzivosai. Right? Says the Ibn Ezra, Like the angels are the legions of God in the heavens. That's what it means to live life making a Kiddush Hashem. Our mission, if you reduce the entire purpose of the Jewish people down to its core, our mission is to create Kiddush Hashem. To bring people closer to God. To bring God closer down here to earth. We told stories all Shabbat Shuvah about people who were other people's angels on earth. When we say in Kedusha, Kadosh, 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 what are we saying? 
We're saying that our mission is to be your angel. That's our mission. Nekadesh eshimcha ba'olam. If you go to shul every day, you answer Kedusha. Shachar is mincha. Nekadesh eshimcha ba'olam. Every time we answer Kedusha, where we put our feet together to resemble angels, and we go up on our toes to resemble angels, what do we say? Nekadesh eshimcha ba'olam. I will sanctify your name in the world. I'm going to be your angel, God. And every day before we go to sleep, we have to ask ourselves, have we been someone's angel today? Have we made a Kiddush Hashem today? Have we improved or repaired His world today? And all of this is in this one word, Tzivosai. The Ibn Ezra says, God says, Why am I taking them out? Not just to be some isolated, some nation in retreat, in hibernation. Not to be a nation who are double parking and who are paying in cash to avoid tax. And to be a nation who speak disrespectfully and harshly and complain and always send the food back and don't leave a nice tip. Not to be a nation who create a bad name in the world. Why am I taking them out, though? Tzaisi, for one reason. Tzivosai ami b'nei Yisrael. I want them to be angels on earth. I want them to sanctify my name through their actions. And then, we're going to come back to the question of hardening Paro's heart momentarily. Let's just look at the rest of the Pesukim first. Then God says, after I bring the harshness, then they will know. Then they will know who I am. Says the Rashbam, they will know I am God. Right? Until now they said, we don't know God. I don't know God. Earlier, Parakei, Pasuk Beis. That's where that expression comes from. What's the context? When Moshe and Aram come to, God, come to Paro, Paro says, Mi Hashem. Who is God that I should listen to Him, to His voice? Lo yadati es Hashem. I don't know this God. I have my little corner of pagans. I have my idols that I bow down and worship to. What are you talking about, God? I'm not familiar with this God. I don't know God. Lo yadati. I don't know God. So the Rashbam says, for God, the plagues are all an introduction. Oh, Paro, you don't know me? Allow me to introduce myself. Dam, Tzvardea, Kinim, Arov, Dever, Shechid, Bara. Nice to meet you. I'm God. You don't know me? You think that you're the God? Paro who goes down to the Nile to relieve himself so that no one will realize he's human, who has basic human needs to relieve himself? You want Egypt bowing down to you? Allow me to introduce myself. I am the real omnipotent being. And what better introduction, what more compelling introduction than to manipulate nature? You don't know me, Paro. You don't know me. By the way, that word, loyadati, that word das, we know means an intimate knowledge. It means the ultimate level of exposure. There's no Hebrew term for sexual relations. We use the term das. Knowledge is the most intimate form of knowledge. Paro says to God, I don't know this God. He's not involved in my life. He's not intimately involved in the lives of humanity, society, of Egypt. So God responds and says, really? You don't know me? And many explain that actually you can break up. This is what Rabbi Yehuda says at the Pesach Seder. Right? That he didn't read the plagues as ten plagues. What's Rabbi Yehuda? Right, and so on. He broke it into three groups. What was Rabbi Yehuda getting at? That he knew how to create acronyms? 
What was Rabbi Yehuda getting at? That he broke the plagues into three units, into three groups. Rabbi Yehuda was getting at that there's a development of the plagues. The units of the plague communicate a greater and greater message to Para. First he deals with nature, Dam Tzvardeya. Right? He goes through. So that's what the Rashbam says. Then they will know me. Viadu. Lo yadati. Paro said, I don't know God. I'm going to bring plagues. And what's the purpose? What's the goal? What will be the result? Viadu. Adon umoshel. Huh. They'll get to know me. They'll know that who I am. They'll know who I am. So for the Rashbam, the purpose of the plagues, and this is important. Make notes for your Pesach Seder. What's the purpose of the plagues for the Rashbam? Is it for the Jewish people? Was it the necessary mechanism to release the people? If God wanted, He could have softened Paro's heart. If God wanted, He could have blinked and the Jewish people would have been free. Yeshua comes, The redemption can come in a moment. Three years after the liberation of the concentration camps, the state of Israel was founded. Why does God go through the exercise, the pomp and circumstance, the light and sound show of ten plagues? Why does He defy His rules? We saw last week, Va'ered, He comes down to earth. He defies His rule of being hidden in order to preserve free will. He violates His own rule to come down to earth to reveal Himself through ten plagues. Why? Why was it necessary? It could have been utterly avoided. So the Rashbam says in such succinct words, Adam Umosho, to introduce himself to Paro and the Egyptians, Shalom Aleichem, nice to meet you. I am the Adonu Moshe. I manipulate and control nature. I control the world. I am the omnipotent, infinite being. Do not hide. Don't pretend I don't exist. Don't be an atheist or even an agnostic. It's nice to meet you. V'yadatem k'ani Hashem. They will know. V'yadumitzayim. They will know that I am God. So for whom are the plagues according to the Rashbam? For Paro and for the Egyptians. But this is not everyone's opinion. Okay. What's the big question I said before? Fani Aksha slave Paro. God's got a heart in Paro's heart. Every kid knows this question. Every kid knows this question. Why is Paro held responsible if God hardened his heart? If Paro's free will was suspended, then why would God visit him with such plagues, punitive measures? It wasn't his free will that refused to let the people go. It was God. And everyone has their fancy highfalutin divrei Torah on this. But let's go back to the basics. Let's see what the Mepharshim themselves on our Pasha say on exactly this question. Says the, who should we start with? Everybody asks it. We'll start with the Ramban. We'll start with the Ramban. Says the Ramban. Gives two answers. Omru b'medrash rabbi begins by quoting a medrash. Gila lo shuasid l'chazek es libo ba'avur la'asos bohadin the first says the Ramban was that Paro is not punished for his refusal to let the people go after God hardens his heart. Paro is punished because he deserves to be punished 
but that which he did beforehand. Rabbi Yochanan asks our question in the Medrash. If God hardened his heart, it is a pischon peh. It's an opening for heretics to say, you see, you can't repent. You can't do tshuva. Para was denied the opportunity to do tshuva. Because if he indeed was deserving and God gave him that punishment, and then he hardened his heart, he precluded Paro from doing tshuva. Why is that fair? I thought the gates of tshuva are always open. I thought the opportunity to change and transform ourselves is always available. Amr Shimon ben Lakish, you can close the mouths of the heretics. Says the Ramban, quoting the Medrash, that if you invite someone to do tshuva a first time, a second time, and a third time, and the individual does not see the mistake of their ways, they don't repair, they don't improve, they don't transform, then the door of tshuva gets locked. The first five visits by God, the first five visits by God were not, were not what with hardening Paro's heart, they, Paro had every opportunity to say, I have remorse and regret for the way I behaved. But he didn't. So God says, She says, you already hardened your heart. You have been so stubborn and steadfast. You have been so rigid in your refusal to see your, the mistakes of your ways. Now I'm going to make it a little bit harder even. So God does not impose on Paro. Paro is some you know, soft-hearted, open-to-change, open person, and God hardens his heart. But the first answer of the Ramban is that Paro himself is stubborn. Paro himself rebuffs God's invitation for tshuva five times. And only then, only then does God harden Paro's heart. So when God visits the plagues upon Paro, Paro is getting exactly what he deserved. God chose an individual who was deserving of the punishment to be the recipient of said punishment. That's what the Ramban says. The Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva, I forgot to bring the Rambam and read it to you. Hilchus Tshuva, Perik Vav, Halacha Gimel. The Rambam has the same line. And the Rambam says something I think that's really important for our generation to hear. That sometimes it's possible for a person to commit such a sin or so many mistakes that tshuva becomes closed before him. Yes, tshuva is a vehicle and a means through which we can repair and undo the mistakes of our ways. But there is such evil, such nefarious behavior, such egregious violation, abuse and harm to others that a person can behave in such a horrific manner they have forfeited their right to tshuva. It's an unbelievable Rama. It's very against this kind of feel-good, tolerant, liberal, politically correct, non-judgmental attitude that anyone can change and anyone's welcome and that we don't judge. Says the Rambam, there is such evil and wickedness, such harm to others, that individuals, the Rambam really writes elsewhere, they forfeit their godly soul. 
they look like a human being but they're really an animal they look like a human being but they're really an animal they forfeit their godly soul and they forfeit their right towards repentance terrorists who murdered the four people in the kosher supermarket in Paris or the day before the 12 people at the newspaper in France this is an evil they have no right to tshuva had they still been living one of them is still on the run many as six maybe they say they're looking for still do they have the date the door of tshuva open to them for the Rambam for the Ramban here the answer is no we talked about this last Shabbos HaGadol when we examined the Russia at the Seder and we talked about who is a Russia today in our politically correct society we don't want to call anybody a Russia they're sick it's mental illness it's the way they were raised it's the culture they were brought up in don't hold them accountable nobody's a Russia everybody is excused explained and therefore we're tolerant and we don't want to ever call evil what it is it's evil it's wickedness we call them the gunmen instead of the terrorists we call them the uh, I don't know what instead of calling them what they are and when we do so we think we're preserving our humanity but we're doing the opposite to preserve our humanity means to call out evil for what it is and to recognize that there is evil in this world which is undeserving of repentance and that's what the Ramban here is writing in the Rambam in Hilchus Tshuva that Paro by oppressing and persecuting and murdering the Jewish people for all those years he had forfeited his soul he was undeserving of the right to repentance God hardening his heart does not pose some theological dilemma about free will versus predeterminism for the everyman because Paro is not the everyman he is a wicked individual he is in a category and class unto himself he like the terrorists of today are undeserving of mercy they're undeserving of kindness they're undeserving of the opportunity to repent there was recently a significant politician who may be running for president who said we need to understand the perspective of our enemies we under, need to understand their mindset and she used the term we need to show them respect even if we don't accept what they do says the Ramban and Rambam no we don't we need to call evil what it is we don't respect it and we should God forbid never try to understand it if we could understand it we would be it God forbid we could ever understand it. There are individuals like in our parsha Paro, who for the Rambam and the Rambam are undeserving. They have no opportunity. They've lost the privilege of tshuva. When God hardens their heart, He's not so much taking their free will as much solidifying the choices they've made such that they can't be undone. There are choices. There are things people do for which forgiveness is impossible which can never be undone. And that's what the Ramban is explaining. Hardening Paro's heart doesn't mean, like we ask, I don't understand, if we have free will, how could God take away our free will? That's predeterminism. Don't we have free will? The Ramban says you're misunderstanding. That's normal people. Evil people, they've solidified their position. They solidified their destiny. When God hardens their heart, He's simply adding. Right? What was the Ramban's Lashon? I'm just adding tuma on your tuma. I'm reinforcing your decisions such that they can no longer be undone. They can no longer be changed. That's the Ramban's perspective on 
how God hardened Paro's heart. Let's look at the Svarna. Ravavaja's Svarna. Says the Svarna, V'lo Yishma Aleichem Paro, Lo Kodem Haaksha, Gam Lo Achar Kein. Imro Oso, Riboy Oso's V'amovsim, V'lachain Esa Behem Shvatim, V'en Makas Bechoros Utfias Mitzrayim B'yamsof, Shishneim Belvar Hayu Altsad Onesh Lahem Mida Kineged Mida, Aval Shar Makos Hayu Oso Zumovsim, Lahashivim B'tshuva. Says the Svarno, very different than the Ramban. Says the Svarno that. Hashem does give the opportunity for tshuva. And in fact, the entire purpose of the makos were not introductions, nice to meet you, I control nature, and I'm going to... It's payback time. But for the Svarno, it's actually the opposite. The entire purpose of the makos are, v'yidatem, I want you to know me, and therefore to change your ways, and therefore to transform your, your philosophy, and therefore to come close to me. I want you to change your ways and therefore to do tshuva. Not to remove the possibility of tshuva, but for the Svarno to reinforce the opportunity of tshuva. So for the Svarno, God didn't tamper with Paro's free will. Had Paro repented at any point, it would have been accepted. It would have been accepted. But there no, was no remorse. So the first nine plagues for the Svarno are not punitive. The first nine plagues are mida keneged mida. They are the perfect proportional response to each of Paro's behaviors towards the Jews. But they're not punitive. They are motivational. They're incentives to incentivize Paro to do tshuva. When he doesn't do tshuva, for the Svarno, the only one of the plagues that actually is punitive is the tenth plague. Makas Bechoros. And then drowning them in the sea. And the Svaro adds, even drowning them in the sea, Gam Biam, even when he's drowning them in the sea, Kive Lasos The goal of the splitting of the sea and drowning the Egyptians was so that the remaining Egyptians observing it would know. We find this expression over and over and over again, says the Svarno. That God's goal is intent is Viadu Mitzrayim. He wants Mitzrim and us, all of us who study this section afterwards, to know that He is the one, that He is the one in charge. Okay, let's keep going. There's, there's more to say in terms of the purpose of hardening the heart, but you get some of the basic idea. Vayas Moshe, Pasuk Vav. Moshe did, and Aaron did, Kasher Tziva Hashem Osam, Kenasu. They did what God commanded. Moshe ben Shmonim Shana, Aaron ben Shalosh Shmonim Shana. Moshe is 80, Aaron's 83 years old, Bidabram El Paro. When they go to speak to Paro for the very first time, when they begin their career as redeemers of the Jewish people, so if you think you're 80 or nearing 80 and it's time to retire, Moshe and Aaron were just beginning their career at 80 and 83. Why do we mention this? Why is this mentioned? Says the Ibn Ezra, Umoshe. Hiskir Shnoseim, 
Why do we mention their ages? To say how remarkable it is that God continued. These are the oldest people we find that God gives Nevoah to. People retire even from Nevoah. They age out of Nevoah. They age out of prophecy. Says the Ibn Ezra, why do we mention their ages? To say how remarkable it is that they continue to get Nevoah even at this advanced age. The Svarno says more. Svarno says, what's remarkable is not only that they continue to get Nevoah, but says the Svarno, in Kozik Nasan, despite the infirmities, infirmities of age, Hishkimoviz Darzulir Tson Konam. They acted with alacrity and zeal and enthusiasm. They ran to go see Paro to carry out the word of God. Even in those days, you reached 80, you move a little slower. It takes a little while longer to get out of bed. It takes a little more energy to get any, any uh, task accomplished. Already communicated in Tehillim. And actually, this comes from Tehillim Tzadi. Gemara says was authored not by David, but by Moshe Rabbeinu himself. And what did Moshe say? The average lifespan of man is 70 years. If you have extraordinary strength, 80 years. So we know that Moshe was feeling the infirmities of age at 80. And yet, Torah tells us, at 80 years old, God said, jump, and Moshe said, how high? He was running to fulfill the word with zerizus, with alacrity and zeal and enthusiasm. He didn't wane. He showed no signs of the effects of age. Yerachayim is bothered. Why does it say, Vayas Moshe Kenasu? Moshe did, Kenasu, so did. Let us say one or the other. Vayas Moshe did. Right? What does the Pasuk say? Vayas Moshe Ba'aron Kasher Tziva Hashem Osam Kenasu. Moshe and Aaron did as God commanded. So they did. Either say, as God commanded, so they did. Or Moshe and Aaron did as God commanded. Why the redundancy? They did as God commanded, so they did. You didn't notice that. Why not? The Orachayim did. What's the redundancy? Venira. It means they fulfilled their mission to two levels. Ha'achas on the one hand, Says the Orchayim, you can fulfill what somebody asks you to do in one of two ways. Someone asks you to do something, you can do it half-heartedly. They ask you to do it, so you'll do it. Do you understand it? No. Do you agree with it? Who cares? Do you believe in it? It doesn't matter. You did it because they asked you to do it. Or you can do something someone asks you to do, not just going through the motions half-heartedly, but you do it wholeheartedly. You give your entire self to it. You believe in it. You seek to understand it. You are invested in it. 
says the Orchaim, that's what's going on here. They asked Moshe Biyan Kasher Tzivah Hashem Osam. Moshe and Aaron did what God commanded men. They went through the actions. They, in fact, went to Paro, said the words they were supposed to say, did what they were supposed to do. Kenasu means, Kenasu, they were invested. They believed wholeheartedly. It was themselves. They didn't just go through the motions for God without understanding, but they actually were invested. They were part of this mission themselves. <coughs> We're running out of time. I want to do the next section. Maybe we'll begin with it next year, Mirza Hashem. But I'll just pose the question to you. It says, I'll pose a few questions that we'll begin with next year. And I'm sure you'll all remember. Vayom Hashem al Moshe, the next Pasuk. So they're ready to go on their mission. Vayom Hashem al Moshe bial Aaron Lemor. God says to Moshe and Aaron, Lemor. Why is the word Lemor used? Why does it have to say saying? Ki daber alechem paro Lemor. When Paro will speak to you saying, Paro is going to say, Why should I listen to you? Who are you? Give me a sign. You're going to tell Aaron, You're going to tell Aaron, Take your staff and throw it in front of Paro and instruct it to become a... Sanin. Tanin. What's a Tanin. When Moshe first says to God, how do I know this is the real deal? God says, throw your staff on the ground. What does it turn into? A nachash. Why there is it a nachash? And why here is it a tanin? Are they the same thing or are they different? Make a mental note for next year. Then Moshe and Aaron come to Paro. Paro recruits his magicians and uh, he's unimpressed. They do the same thing. Ah, but what happens next? Aaron's staff swallows up their staffs. That's impressive. Paro's heart is hardened and he doesn't hear. We're told he's going to do in Pasuk test. When Paro says, do for me a moface. Uh, Aaron, uh, Moshe rather didn't ask for a moface. What did Moshe ask for? An os, a sign. What's the difference between an os is a sign and a moface is a wonder? Moshe asked for a sign. Paro asks for a wonder. What's the difference between them? And if Paro is looked at critically for needing proof, why was it okay for Moshe to need proof? What's the difference? So these are the remaining questions. These are the questions that begin this next section. We'll start with it in Mirza Shem next year. Have a wonderful week.